Now it's time for Zonk. Zonk. Then Garrett drove the car up to Main Terminal, took a left, drove under the SkyTrain past acreages, storage lockers, discount the carpet stores, car dealerships. It reminded ASAP of Broad Street North in Regina, minus the train tracks and the mountains to the left of them. This is what Regina looks like. Like the good areas of Regina, Asim said. I thought you were from Saskatoon, Sangaro said without looking. Besides, I wouldn't know. I've never been east of Edmonton. They didn't know Oilers fan. Sangaro pulled a right down a dusty, overgrown street that belonged out on the fringes of civilization. Not ten minutes from the glass and steel towers of downtown and the West End. Duct tape covered motorhomes lined both sides of the street. Then a left, and they were on a gravel road. Surrounded by razor wire topped chain link fences. And then into a small parking lot beside a red brick two story with boarded up windows and weeds climbing high against the walls. Are you sure we're not in North Regina? Asa asked, got out of the car. The sky had turned gray during the short car ride. There were no defined clouds, just gray. The kind of sagging gray that Aesop knew could suddenly burst, fill the city with rain for days. Sometimes it just stayed gray. Clouds could not be counted on. I don't know if I'm dressed for this, Aesop said, frowning at the sky. Don't worry about it, Sangara said. Aesop followed the cop through a series of heavy yellow metal doors secured by keypads down a bare bulb stairwell to a just below ground corridor concrete where a dozen more heavy yellow metal doors each throbbed with some kind of wild energy within 
promise me you're not going to show me a dead body, Aesop said. Sangara put a finger to his lips while he keyed in a code on the third floor with his other hand. The door chirped and then gave way to a kind of dubby bass inside. If Aesop hadn't already known Sangara was a cop, the effortlessly authoritative knock on the door would have tipped him off. Not that anyone on the other side heard the knock. When Sangara opened the door, Aesop knew why. Four large, aggressively fit men, top-heavy, a thousand pounds altogether, occupied the center of the industrial carpet-lined room. They wore dark blue tank tops and sweatpants, like it was a uniform. Likewise, each of them wore a close-cropped goatee and showed an attention to detail that had always eluded Aesop in his own grooming. Their tank tops revealed an unsurprising array of upper arm and shoulder ink. Celtic crosses and knots, Chinese and Japanese characters. One even had what looked to Aesop like a Modigliani self-portrait. Drum, bass, guitar. Fourth man held a big saxophone, bigger than a baritone, almost as big as Aesop, but still much smaller than the man who held it. Aesop had seen Ken Vandermark and Mats Gustafsson trade free jazz licks on those big axes back in the day at the Roundhouse. But this jam was groove-based, not exactly groovy. The rhythm was tight and syncopated, the sax would blow deep for a second or two, then yelp out five or six sharp bursts. Aesop reflexively nodded along. Sangara noticed and nudged him with an elbow. That's when Aesop saw that the bass player had a Beatles tattoo on his left bicep. Full Sgt. Pepper's uniforms. Only, instead of Paul McCartney, it was the bass player's own face in the blue jacket, second from right. Aesop's eyes traveled down to the Vancouver Police Department crest on the bass player's sweatpants. He scanned the room. All of them wore the VPD brand. Jazzer, drop your axe, he said, but not anywhere near loud enough for anyone to hear, never mind appreciate, the Leonard Cohen reference. Now it's time for Zonk. Zonk.